Consumers Podcast for the week of September 13th. My name is Justin Hurd. My name is Nathan Steinman. Skyler Deal. We are no longer in the house. In the basement. Tapes are over. Yeah, so now we are in the apartment. So I actually have no idea how the background noise is going to be on this one. The fan's probably going to be pretty awful. Yeah, they'll let us know, but right now I actually am um, sitting in an apartment with an open floor plan. So there's multiple walls for this audio to bounce off of. Woo! And um, Thank- thankfully we have unidirectional mics. Yeah, that's true. So, so that that might nice help ambience. out. <clears throat> My wife says I have soft hands. So is that her like veiled attempt at calling you feminine? I guess, but I don't have ovaries like Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional. Hey man, okay, if he's got ovaries, he's most likely intersex. And you should probably be nice to the guy. I mean, there's nothing like having two pairs of testicles. One inside and outside. You know, I mean, that's got to be a weird thing. You know, especially with all those tattoos. I mean... He does have a lot of tattoos. He loves them. He's, he's, he's he puts old... on a good show, that guy. I saw him open up for Third Eye Blind recently at the Zoo Amp, and I quite enjoyed it. So how was Third Eye Blind all these years later? They are still pretty good, even though it's just like maybe just Tom Wilkinson and one other guy from the original lineup. See, I, I think his name's Tom. I saw Dashboard <laughs> Confessional way back like 2004. Actually, they were the headliners there. Before oh, Spider-Man? Soundtrack? Yes, I think. It may have been 2005. It was like... That's after the Spider-Man films. I was going to say, Spider-Man, I'm not sure which one he was... The first one is when they're... They, you know, I think... Two was... Two was The Nickelback guy. Yeah. Hey. They could say a hero could... or And they say a hero could save us. I'm not going to stand here and wait. Okay. The fact that you know the words... Diminishes I, I, so I, much respect for you. No, uh, well, I, I, I love re- Spider-Man I, po- I did recently, well, not recently, but a couple months ago, I did post that I do like the first two Nickelback albums. Death to Justin. Oh, come on. You, Who you, did you I, see a dashboard play with? Uh, I don't. I honestly don't remember that. The thing I do remember is that there was somebody who ended up running across the stage, and security start dragging him out, and... Chris, whatever his fucking name is. Um, Chris, whatever his fucking name is. Caraba. Caraba, something like that. Caraba, Caribbean. Yeah. um, He was like, hey, guys, it's cool. And the security kept dragging on. I was like, hey, security, let the kid go. And they stopped and let him go and let the kid go back there. So at that point was whenever I jumped. I was in like the way fucking back. One of my friends was at the front, so I kind of... Kind of just kind of hung out over there, and then for the last like two songs, we jumped over the, um, ba- or the over the edge onto the main floor and ran up there. So did you hug Chris? I did not. I have not actually got to meet him. To go for his ovaries. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Speaking of which, when I was working at Vintage Stock, there was somebody who I worked with who I th- think this, their point was a complete idiot point. But there's the song. Uh, I think it's, I, it's not screaming infidelities. 
But um, I heard about the cool guys that you spent, or the cool guys and the cool nights that you spent them with, or whatever. I guess I should have heard about from you, whatever that song is. And it's off the places you have come to fear the yes. most. Um, but the the line about um, your <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen Skylar's look of pain, like. I know this. Oh but, God! But, okay, but um, those lips you that those lips that scream of other people's lips or whatever, or this kiss that screams of other people's uh-huh. lips. Yeah. My employee said that they thought that that meant pussy lips. Sorry, <laughs> and that the person they were dating was like, "Oh yeah, well yeah, I, I can't ever listen to that song the same way." And then I listened to the song and I'm like, "They're an idiot. It is literally <laughs> talking about kissing somebody and them, t- you know, what like Hey, not everybody kisses everybody <laughs> in the same way." Well, true, but the the context of the song is you're just sitting there going like, "He's he's not reaching that deep with these songs." Mm-hmm. They're no. they're journal entries for crying out they loud. They are. Which, Written by a well, 30-year-old guy. <laughs> hey, Hey, I honestly hey, thought it was Freddie my, Prince some Jr. Of my, when I saw him the first time. Some of my journal entries are way deeper than his lyrics from 2001. You're also a fucking poet. Well, oh, I'm not. I'm not trying to slag you. Well, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying not all journal entries are equal in writing ability. As so, I don't want to read Trent Reznor's journals ever. They're probably, you know, you, you, I you, ate food today. <laughs> And I was mad. <laughs> and I breathed the deep, dark pit of my soul. And so, then there was distortion. Speaking and, of which, yeah. we were just watching The Wall and got on to how much uh, lack of subtlety that There is no has. subtext in that movie. And yeah, there's none in The Wall and none with Trent Reznor. Yeah, none. But uh, so speaking of people who have both succeeded and incredibly failed in their careers. I don't think you're going to nail this transition. uh, (laughs) Hey, no segue has ever been perfect. No segue. You just try. But speaking of movies Hmm. that should have probably been successful because of the success of of the music that drove it. And or soundtracks and or blah blah blah. Now, now you're just now you're. I just know I'm digging a deeper hole. So, <laughs> speaking of movies that bombed at the box office, let's talk about box office bombs. Fantastic flops. Ford. <laughs> or, and or there might be a turkey, which is the other, which is the word for a movie that might be successful, but was so critically panned that it basically. Bombed itself into oblivion. Many lists on the internet for this topic. I'm glad you picked this one, by yeah. the way. It's I, fun. I, I thought it was a good way to talk about both cult movies, guilty pleasures, and movies that we like, even if they're really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so bad they're good. Kind yeah. of things. Or, or just so bad they're still entertaining. <laughs> but like Con, like Con Air is an incredibly successful movie. It would never be on this list. But it's so bad. It's very, very, very entertaining. But you're leaving I'm, I'm off. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you, uh, you and I have both listened to How Did This Get Made? And we know yes. that there is nothing wrong with Con Air. It is a perfect movie. <laughs> it is. It is a perfectly bad movie. No, no. <laughs> it, it is a perfectly good movie that has nothing oh, wrong Con with Air. it. Yeah. I think I mentioned this previously, but upon listening to How Did This Get Made, I was both looking for my looking to rent... Um, a copy or own a copy of Con Air and Face Off. And so you 
had both of them. Yeah, and then got yeah. home after spending two hours trying to find a copy. Couldn't. Found out I had both of them on Blu-ray. <laughs> Everyone has face-off sitting around somewhere. <laughs> As they should. And Con Air, maybe. What you, you have, there is a serious gap in your life. <laughs> well, I've also had times where I've had to give up almost everything I had. So. And the first thing you should do is reclaim face-off. <laughs> no, I didn't like that movie when it came out. So, uh, I know. I broke... I broke the sacred vow to John Woo that we will like no, all no, his no, movies. No, 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 no. What I was, all, all I was going to say is, as I said, this was brought up in How Did This Get Made, is that Nicolas Cage filmed Con Air and then flew directly to the set of Face Off and filmed that one. That is why they are the perfect pair of movies. Because they are literally... The same, in, the same brother. insane thought process that... <laughs> That you know informed his. And he went from talking like this to, woo! <laughs> I could eat a peach for hours. I could eat a peach. I could eat a peach. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. So uh, technically, uh, Justin oh isn't this year' topic now, or is it Skyler's next? Uh, next time? It's gonna be mine next time. Okay. It's Justin's. So, Justin, since it's your topic next time, Fuck. let me get your number three box office bomb. Oh, okay. Well, no quoting Jason Manzukas for this one. You know, I honestly can't, can't even dif- differentiate the quotes at this point, so I'm, I'm good. Um, my number three box office bomb would be The Majestic. With Jim Carrey? With Jim Carrey. Hmm. I've never seen that movie. Oh, you need to see that movie. Um, it's, a, it's an awesome drama. Probably the reason that it bombed is I believe it came out right out came out pretty close after the Truman Show's success, but this was him going a full fledged period drama. I'm trying to remember this. Doesn't that have the same kid from Simon Birch as the narrator? I'm honestly not sure. Um, I and haven't seen Simon. It's Birch. It's directed by uh, Frank, right? Uh, Darabont. Yeah, I think so. But I confirm that. But anyway, the idea of it is basically he is a Hollywood actor type, um, and he is yeah, out Frank in Garibald. the dr- out driving in the middle of nowhere, gets into a car wreck, and has amnesia, and he looks just like a local boy who went missing during the war, hmm. and so he kind of ends up assuming his identity and becoming a part of this small town, and ended up getting the basically kind of bringing back this small town theater the majestic and kind of bringing it back to prominence and this is right in the middle of the red scare so he's kind of sheltered from it and then ends up being brought back to hollywood to face you know the whole communism scare and kind of be in front of everybody else and you know going basically kind of being the person being like yeah i went to that meeting basically to get laid you know that that sort of thing, but it's actually a full-on drama, really well done. But I think the reason it flopped is just because it was playing against his type of the comedy man. I mean, that's was it based off of anything, or was it just a Frank's idea, something that he made himself his whole his whole idea? Uh, well, uh, you know? the writer was Michael Sloan, so. Um. 
I was just wondering if it was. It's not a Stephen King thing. Yeah, so it's not an just, adaptation. Yeah, no, it's just something he wrote. Yeah, it's set in 1951. Hmm. So interesting. So this actually came out three years after Simon Birch. What I was confusing was Jim Carrey was the n- adult narrator of Simon Birch. <laughs> okay. So sorry. Yeah, but it's a really good movie. It was kind of that weird point in Jim Carrey's career where everything just started to go bad. Well, and he was trying to do darker, more serious, darker and more serious things. And well, I mean, it was yeah. So he had Truman Show, Simon Birch. Then he did Man on the Moon. Oh, then me, myself, and Irene, which is which I, the last I, good Far- Fairly Brothers movie. And I absolutely love. Like, it took me a while to watch me, myself, we and saw, Irene. Skylar, didn't we see that in the theater? Me, you, and Daryl. God, I can't. Me, remember. myself, and Irene. I, I think can't we remember. Went, I think it was me, you, and Daryl. We went and saw that in the theater. Probably. And then he did How the Grinch Stole Christmas and then The Majestic. And then two years later... So this later, is the follow-up to, to me, myself, and his Irene. performance that got him a Razzie. Yeah. And then and also How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which I think was pretty successful. No, I, th- I think The Grinch is what got him the Razzie. Oh, okay. Yeah, if I remember right. That's one of those but movies that can two years later, he, he came back with Eternal Sunshine. Or, no, sorry, he came back with Bruce Almighty, then Eternal Sunshine. You know, so yeah. he, he got back at that point. But, but it was kind of this... There, wo- there was like a four-year period. It's almost like Jim Carrey's on the fall. <laughs> the fall of Jim Carrey and Rewrite. But then he did yeah, well, that... I mean, psychological kind of murder mystery horror one too right well i mean okay then he fell off since i have it pulled up here he literally did um ace ventura in 94 he also came out with the mask in 94 and dumb and dumber all three of those came out all three of those came out the same year yes then he was the riddler in 95 there was the follow-up, which was Ace Ventura When Nature Calls in 95. <laughs> in 96 was The Cable Guy. Love then Liar Liar in 97. Yeah. 98 was The Truman Show, mm-hmm. along with Simon Birch. Birch. Then Man on the Moon the next year. Then the next year was Me, Myself, and Irene and Grinch. Next- and then the next year was Majestic. And then he had a break because <laughs> oh. he had three things in a row, which just so kind of went. So for six years, he was insanely successful with everything he did and then it just completely died wow and you know he's come back from there but you know but he's also done he's also he's made himself capable of being a bit part character instead of right because his part in kick-ass 2 i really enjoyed yeah, even you know, though he ended up disavowing the movie right before it came out. Like, well, but that f- was the that was the violence that took place in our society that made him disavow the movie, not right. the actual movie. Plus, he got divorced and was going through all that kind and of he, stuff. Too. And he made a joke about Emma Stone that nobody got. Oh, it was a joke. Yeah, yeah. The, the the I love you. The whole which like, was which if you watch, he's like he's like you see him almost break. You see him almost <laughs> corpse, which. <laughs> You know, and it's really funny to like watch him like almost completely like, break I, I, in the I'm, middle of the I'm movie. Honestly, surprised that Jim Carrey you. still has a career based off looking off because he came back with Eternal Sunshine and then he did fun with Dick and Jane. And then, and then two years later was the number twenty three, and then he did, you know, Mister Popper's did, Penguins. Th- well, no, then he did Yes Man, which I really liked. Actually. I've never seen that one. That that one is not bad. Um, I actually enjoyed that one, but then he also did I Love You, Philip Morris. Which was pretty bad. And then Christmas Carol. Which I liked Christmas Carol. 
two years after I Love You, Philip Morris, and Christmas Carol, then it was Mr. Popper's Penguins. Okay. And then two years later was The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, which was another flop. Oh, man, I love that movie. But then also Kick-Ass 2, and he was in Anchorman 2, and then last year was Dumb and Dumber 2. Which I never... I, and he literally only has two other things that have he's done since then. He did a cameo in The Office. I remember that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Yeah. <clears throat> it's sad to see, like... Someone you grew up watching. Yeah. <laughs> Become an old man who can't make talk his out of his butt anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I literally, he literally can't talk out of his butt anymore. Oh, uh, you know what? I think it's prime, t- prime time for Ace Ventura. I, I think technically four at this point because there was the kid version of Ace Ventura. I think it's about time for a resurgence. They'll just call it something so they don't have to admit that there was the kid movie. <laughs> yeah. So, well, at, at that, I, honestly. It was Ace Ventura Pet Detective and then Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. So now it could literally just be Ace Ventura. <laughs> or it could just be uh, Ace Ventura Return to Nature. Something like <laughs> that, or, yeah. So, uh, Skyler, <laughs> what is your number three box office bomb? Um, I'll just go with the recent one. Um, me and my wife watched Tomorrowland uh, a week or two after it had come out in theaters and it's a Brad Bird film. I was real excited about it. The previews uh, before kind of got me really interested in it. Um, I like the idea of him taking uh, an idea of t- Tomorrowland, like World's Fair or the big dome thing at Epcot Center, you know, all that. And he kind of made his own idea about people who are geniuses who want to invent, like a sense of scale, adventure. And, and it was... Uh, <clears throat> really good i can kind of tell how why while watching i could tell like this isn't going to really do that well there wasn't a lot of people there when i watched it anyway yeah i saw saw it as well and aaron and i went and saw it but it was it felt like an adventure sitting there watching it and in brad bird i I really like that guy i like everything he's done even his old tv shows he used to produce you know yeah and i was like well he was a simpsons person too so and I remember he did like Amazing Stories, that Spielberg TV series, and he, <laughs> he even produced like The Critic, which is one of my favorite yeah. shows. But uh, Tomorrowland um, turns out it was a flop. I don't know if it's <laughs> the biggest flop of the year. It's one of them. I think Fantastic Four has taken that. Fantastic Four. Yeah, hmm. I, I'd, I'd love to talk more about Fantastic Four, but, but uh, I'm it's not easy. Going to. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was the whole reason I was like, mm-hmm. because there was such a big box office bomb this year. I was like, we've got to talk about him. So, but you know, Brad Bird, he'll he'll bounce back. He's doing Incredibles too. Rumors he might do Iron Giant too. I don't know. But I've heard he squashed those rumors already for Iron like, Giant yeah, too. Yeah, he did, oh. unfortunately. Well, that's okay. You know, Iron Giant. So why uh, are you playing with my heart? <laughs> Iron Giant's another movie. You can he'll be Groot again. You'll love him again. So, but well, I, Tomorrowland, I I really liked it. Uh, and, you know, me being sort of a writer, I could see where things could have been done better or spliced here and there, cut out, whatever. But I, uh, you know, I can't go into details about it that much, really. I can just keep saying it's cool and it's awesome. But it's a flop at the box office. Disney lost money off it, but they made up for it with everything else they've done. Here's, here's, the, here's the real tragedy, honestly, of Tomorrowland failing. I don't know if you're going to know this or not. Tron 3 got canceled because of it. Okay. 
Oh yeah, I heard about Tron Three being canceled. That's because of tomorrow. Oh yeah, Disney because doesn't like live action movies hardly because, anymore. Well, huh? no, they're yeah. redoing everything in live action. I mean, there's no, even, they're redoing cartoons. Well, that's what well, that's what they're, I'm saying. You know, you know why they're doing that? To hold the copyright of those original stories. Oh longer. yeah, Beauty and the Beast well, is one coming well, out. Like, okay, Winnie the Pooh is being remade into a live action. <sighs> Look. I'm the just hugest. do stop motion. Just do a fantastic Mr. Fox thing with it. Just don't. I I am the That'd hugest. Cool. I am honestly the hugest fan of Winnie the Pooh. Like I still want the new Adventures of Winnie Pooh to come out, um, which is the the show. I have that theme song still stuck in my head <laughs> from a child. I watched it so much. Wow, it's a Fa- great movie. Favorite episode is sorry, great show. Piglet, um, finding hit, Piglet and Tigger finding the um, village of Piglets. <laughs> and it, they have the land of milk and honey, mm-hmm. and they start worshiping Piglet. <laughs> like best episode oh, ever, but you can never episode. find these. In, there's not any DVDs or anything like that of these. That's Disney Channel stuff, right? Long yeah, time ago. I believe so. Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. I mean, it was in the same block as Gummy Bears and Gargoyles. And of course, all that also stuff. who knows if they accidentally? Because you know there've been other owners of Disney, and you know sometimes the DVD rights end up in companies. So, that aren't Disney. So Tron is flat out canceled or just pushed to they way back? Canceled. They're just, not going to do it because just of how wait. bad it was. They'll fucking, someone else I, will come I, at I it, want it. I want it so much. I love tr- both the Trons so much. Hmm. All the yeah. stuff. Okay. I need to watch okay. Tron 2 again. Specifically, okay. The and reason Kill- why Killian I didn't Murphy, watch... Kill- the, Killian Murphy was going to be the villain. The reason why I didn't watch Tron 2? The reason why I didn't watch Tron 2 is because I heard... It was awful no, from people who loved Tron. No, I really enjoyed it. Like my, my honestly, my biggest disappointment with it is that they could have gone farther. Okay. Like they they did a really good job with the derezzing with the idea of like this police state. They did a really cool thing with scars, like you could see the pixels breaking up in their bodies and all that stuff. The, my biggest disappointment was that. Have you seen it? Yeah, I had like I had like a bootleg of it on my PS3, so I didn't see okay, a good version quick, of it. Just to show the guys, I know this isn't going to translate to the podcast. So Tron Legacy, we're taking a detour on Tron Legacy. So Justin's got a Tron special something here. Special. The I have disc. a Tron special edition that lights up. It's in the shape of the discs and has both the classic and the um, ah, Legacy cool. version. I love this fucking movie. Um, my biggest disappointment with it is that... So um, you want to see them bastardize it even further. Yeah. The original Tron is not a good movie. But I love it. Oh, I like the original. But, uh, have you watched it recently? I have. I still have that one on my PS3. <laughs> okay, there you go. So, I mean, it, it's got really weird pacing. The thing that I like so much about it... Um, they made the guru version of... Um, Jeff Bridges, like he's older, and there's an amazing point where he kind of reaches down and kind of, and all the lights go off, and that should have been his Neo moment, but it's just like a distraction. Like, they should have had him actually pulling apart the programs, because he's lived in there for so long, like he has, you know, is able to manipulate everything, but they didn't do that. So what you're saying is you want to write your own... 
I want Tron yeah, movie. Yeah, I should totally make a t- Tron. So 3. maybe you should start writing spec. There you go. Yeah, um. but uh, to speak of Tomorrowland, <laughs> to get off this Tron tangent. Look, uh, so Tomorrowland, which Justin hasn't seen. Uh, Tomorrowland, the thing that I really liked about it was there was a there was obviously a tone. There was obviously strong imagery throughout the movie. Uh, the biggest thing is that even though like. Specifically, the robot character, the female robot character. Oh, yeah. The girl. Yeah. The fact that it kind of bothered me towards the end of the movie that, like, she, one, she kind of wasn't the main character, and two, that it's kind of this weird... The imagery of a super old George Clooney mourning the loss of this robot child that he's in love with that's also the same really the same age as him she's also 60 years old but she looks like a 12 year old or 10 year old still mm-hmm. is a very awkward imagery to deal with and well that was and you know a Disney movie with George Clooney is kind of your main a little bit kind of threw people off too I think yeah. Well, and also, I mean, the fact that I think it promised more adventure than it was ever going to give. It was going to give you more ideas. And the, and people should have known that to begin with because it's Brad Bird. You know, Brad Bird is heavy on the ideas more so than the action. Well, the but la- his action sequences are always incredible. I was going to say, the last thing he did was Mission Impossible, right? I, I know, but think about... I mean, there's only a few action set pieces in that movie. It's better than the current one that's out. Well, I didn't see Rogue Nation. Why not? Because I didn't. How dare you? Because I haven't been to the movies in two months. You know, the one thing I felt about... about it helps. You know, I, I, left, I left Tomorrowland not honestly knowing like what the antagonist was that much. But I did like how the movie, it's like they were going somewhere the whole time. They had a sense of direction. They were doing something. They weren't just kind of sitting around. Also suffers from the Damon Lindelof hate. I think a lot of people people who aren't Brad Bird fans heard Lindelof and went bad Hmm. before they even walked into the movie. See, I'd like to, as you guys know and our listeners know, I'm really up on movies. I had no idea Damon Lindelof was a part of it, and it still didn't look interesting to me. See, and I heard I heard the word Brad Bird. Well, yeah, I mean, That's, I heard the word Brad Bird. I'm done. I'm, I'm sold. Done. It, it also too. had a really weird marketing campaign because the they first didn't know how to sell it because it's it has three. There are three different distinct tones in the movie that blend together very well. Well, and that—that's the. Honestly, but you can't take snippets. I'm, I'm trying from to those think three of, tones, and I, I'm kind of suffering from this right now with my book. But I'm trying to think of how much stuff that's actually genre that genre bends is actually successful. Hmm. We're taking disparate tones and everything, and that may be that's a conversation for another yeah. time. Yeah. And you know, that's a whole podcast. That, right that's there. a whole podcast, yeah. which we could easily get onto. But um, the, I mean, the original teaser, which I ended up watching multiple times, was her picking, picking up, up the, the pen, pen and being in a field whenever she's in the middle of you know some office or whatever, yeah. and then letting go of it, and then you know, oh, and then the whole majesty of whatever. And that was it. And then you get the other one where it's like, okay, cool, future robotics stuff in this guy, this grumpy old man's house, which mm-hmm. happens to be George Clooney. But 
and then they kind of revisit that same imagery. But it was just like, I have no idea what this is, but I'm not going to go to theaters to see it. See, and I thought Brad Bird. I've never. Well, you know, Kevin I've Smith, never seen uh, a Brad Bird in the movie theater hmm. because I missed Incredibles in the movie theater, and then. I didn't realize Ghost Protocol was a Brad Bird movie until after it was out of theaters. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kevin but. Smith talked about it on the, yeah. what, Utility Belt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, uh, he, he, he claims that he thinks it'll be one of those movies that picks its fans after yeah, it's it'll find it'll, it'll probably be. I mean, that's the biggest thing with movies nowadays is that the opening box office really doesn't fucking matter. Unless you're... The well, problem you're, was it was a... It was a very high budget movie, right? For the type of movie that should be allowed to find its audience, anymore. right? I mean, and that it has for a hundred eighty million dollars. If it, it had been an eighty million dollar movie, if it, if it had been a hundred million dollar movie, it wouldn't have been as big a disappointment. The fact that it was a hundred eighty million dollar movie meant that it not being successful is a prop was a problem. So. Hmm. So, Nathan, what is your number three? My number three, I'm actually going to dip into the past here because I didn't know this as a child when I watched this movie more times than I... So many times that I remember it to this day. But the Rex Harrison uh, Dr. Doolittle is oh, my yeah. number three. I did not actually know this was a was a uh, box office flop. Apparently, the... I can, I can see it. The budget was so high they traveled around the world they did a lot of stuff uh rex harrison didn't even know what was going on half the time <laughs> like apparently i would not be surprised yeah there was <laughs> and i mean i remember this this movie the the pushing the the island parts that are you know separate in the book which i actually because of that movie i read dr doolittle the book i have a story before, about that but we'll get to that before before the eddie murphy shitty movie that made no sense uh <clears throat> and the fact that like the islands why, why, why are you together, throwing shade uh, the I'll never forget there's the scene where <clears throat> the child who's grown up in the modern world who's been following Dr. Doolittle is in is on the island and the moon is lighting the ceremony that they're watching and everything's being lit by the moon and this is the first time they've ever known realized that this is how the world used to be at night only things lit by the moon, you know, and just this, there's this childhood thing that I realizing that there was this time, you know, you don't think about it growing up in our society, you know, that there was a time, even in blackouts, you don't even really realize it, that like, there was a time when there was nothing, there was no, there was no candles, there was no torches, there was literally a Maybe a fire and then the moon, and that's it. We have transitioned from the movie to the book. Well, but I'm saying <laughs> why I'm saying part of the reason why, but then this move, but the the elaborate sets, the push me pull you, the in camera effects, so many things that were lavish and ex and extravagant in that movie. And what is the curse of a lot of box office bombs is the extravagance of the effects, the extravagance of the things that they built. Or this, they, they push know. it too far. Yeah, and and this movie is very campy. Yeah. You know, it it is not it is not a very serious film, but like and the the costuming is over the top. There's some 
stuff at this point that is probably pretty racist about native people on islands. Uh, but there's also beautiful imagery of the Nautilus shell, and there's beautiful imagery with the butter, the the giant moth at the end that he's riding. There's just all these beautiful filmic images that I didn't really realize were so deep in my head. Like I, I, I have to say, I think one of the reasons why it did flop is because of how long it is. It's two and a half hours long. Not even joking. For a kid's movie. Not even joking. Two and a half hours long. Except as a kid, I was fucking riveted. Right. I sat, I just literally was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, the whole time. <laughs> like, but it's it's one of those movies, I saw the end as a kid. Like, I, saw, I remember seeing the end before we watched the movie, and I was like, I want to watch that. And because we'd recorded it on a tape off the Disney Channel, we had it. And I would just, and I put it in, and I watched the whole thing, and I was like, this is amazing. And I <laughs> probably rewound it, and I probably watched it directly again because I was a little kid. <laughs> we'll see. And um, we actually did that with Graham. Like, a lot of watching the movie recently for me has been, oh, hey, Graham's young, you know, yeah. there's a kid's movie I liked as a kid. Let's watch it, and I I watched it before they take it off, took it off of Netflix like five or six times. Here, Graham, let's watch Land Before Time, the first one. <laughs> no, 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 wait, wait a minute. I literally tried to watch Never Ending Story with him. Oh, well, hmm. Yeah. Okay, do you remember the point in the Bog of Sadness yes. where the horse dies? Yeah, where Treyu can't rescue the horse. Yes. Yeah, and then yes. you have the giant turtle. Graham was maybe one and a half when I tried having him watch that, and he turned to me and went, why? <laughs> why? And just kept asking it. And it was like, okay, I have to turn this off for my one and a half year old son because that may have been too traumatizing for him. <laughs> so, Dr. Doolittle is safe by comparison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. if it is two and a half hours long. Oh, uh, yeah. But, like, uh, but the thing is, it's just one of those things like, the crazy Rex, the costumes that Rex Harrison wears, uh, the the crazy top hat, the p- weird plaids that he's wearing. The I like I have not rewatched this movie in a long time, and I'm all of this is in my head. Like I remember the 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 pearl pink inside of this giant Nautilus shell. You know, like I remember. Do you remember the love triangle or the love? Um, I think I've. Thing? I think I tried to forget most of that. Uh, the it's just one of those things that it stuck with me very deeply, but but that's my n- number three. So, so. I, I do have to give a slight diversion on there. I remember going to Briarwood. Same here. Yeah. Same there. Yeah. Um, All and three of us. We had the scholastic tests for books. Yeah. I watched the Doctor Doolittle movie. Tried to do the scholastic test based off that. <laughs> Completely failed. Yeah, I wonder why. I wonder. Yeah. And then I ended up convincing them that I had taken the test by mistake and got a do-over and then read the book and took the test. I don't remember if I passed, but I do remember tried to get by with it watching the movie <laughs> version, which Did, is a complete bastardization of it, yeah. and then reading the actual book later. Yeah, so. the adventure's way long, which is sad. It's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. It doesn't even cover, like, maybe... I think it covers half the book. Because there's way more adventures and more animals and more hmm. creatures. He's kind of this Noah kind of character. But right. a modern-day kind of Noah thing. A veterinarian Noah. But 
So, Justin, what is your number two? Oh, just so you know, the Blu-ray version of Doctor Doolittle is is only Region Two, so it would not play on most of our Blu-ray players. Fuck. So you can get mm. it on DVD for only four dollars. Good. Well, I'll go. buy a fucking DVD then. <laughs> so my number two is going to be a little-known movie called Hudson Hawk. Hmm. Oh. Oh, no, no, no. I did not actually, I had never... I got the world on a street. <laughs> I had never actually watched this movie until maybe a year ago. Sad and, face. And that was at Daryl's behest. I'm pretty I, sure uh, me and Daryl bonded over watching Hudson <laughs> Hawk at one well, point. Well, see, the, the thing is, is that I had always seen the DVD. You know, I've, I've been in retail for 13 years, up until this year, and had been managing a video store for the past five years. And kept seeing the movie, but I always heard how shitty it is. And so I never watched it. And then Daryl finally brought it over. And I can say, literally, for the first 20, 30 minutes, what is this movie? This movie exemplifies all the excess of the 90s. And then I realized how to make it work in my head. It's the fifth element but with a cat burglar. Hmm. Kind of. Because it's playing itself super serious in an absurdist world. God, I need to rewatch that movie. God, I, I love that movie. For, I, 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 I love it now. I can't, I can't but, remember anything. But from watching that movie. the beginning of it was just like, what? And, and honestly, I have to give credit to the Quarter to Three podcast because they cat the Quarter to Three movie podcast because. Um, Movie podcast. Yeah, I, like, I like the way you put that. <laughs> movie podcast. Well, they do have a video game podcast. I know, but it was but like it was like a totally different tone of voice. <laughs> like, like, um, well, <clears throat> you know, Dingus and Tom Chick always talk about how much they love Hudson Hawk, and finally, that was kind of the thing that finally pushed me over the edge. And Daryl brought it over, so I watched it, and then I showed it to Katie, and Katie's response was, "What the fuck is this movie?" Exactly. <laughs> And like, and it's the weird thing because for the first twenty minutes, I'm just like, this is everything that was wrong with the '90s. Like, this is Super Mario Brothers. This is all that stuff. Except it's good, <laughs> but it's really not. Yeah, it but is. it really is. So, are you liking this in so, a cult kind of way well, now? I, like, it, it definitely is because it, it definitely. I, I plays, will. I will I say mean, the movie has a tone problem. It does. Well, but like, it's ha- the best but, but, tone problem ever. But that's why we're liking it to Fifth Element, is because Fifth Element has a tone problem. But it's a tone problem I love. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's the thing where I Bruce Willis Element. is playing it super serious. Uh-huh. And the movie is and, and, a giant like space opera comedy. Well, and, and, and I'm saying the same thing with Hudson Hawk. The prob- okay, so the problem with Hudson Hawk is that it was a follow-up to Die Hard. Before Die Hard, Bruce Willis was a comedy actor. He was in Moonlighting. Right. right. I remember uh, that. TV show. Blind Date, wasn't it? As, uh, no. he was, well, he was in the movie Blind Date as well. Moonlighting was, was the TV show. Moonlighting was, was the TV okay. show. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so he was known for being like this charming comedy actor. And then you get Die Hard where he's a badass. And his follow-up. Hey, motherfucker. Right. So if Die Hard hadn't happened, his follow-up would have been Hudson Hawk. Which would have probably cemented him as a comedy actor and worked for him. <laughs> but you have him as a badass, and then he's doing stuff where he's on a stretcher, riding down the highway, smoking a cigarette, and paying exact change through a toll. 
love that. Oh, I love that. To come against so much. secret agents named Kit Kat, Butterfinger, and I don't remember what the other one was. I can't remember either right now. But, um, and Kit Kat was always my favorite. Yeah, Kit Kat was awesome, but Butterfinger was mine because <laughs> that actually is the guy who ended up playing um, Leatherface. Oh. No, no, it may not be Leatherface. He may have been Jason Voorhees. No, he wasn't Kane Hodder, so it was Leatherface. He was the guy who currently plays Leatherface. Oh, wow. that big, big, big hulking kind of guy. Yeah, huh? and my favorite, my favorite line from him is that they're sitting outside of the apartment whenever Bruce Willis is trying to hook up with the nun. <laughs> and Butterfinger, I about that. And Butterfinger goes, do you want me to rape him? <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy goes, here, read your book and hands it to him and he goes I will not eat it with a fox I will not eat it in a box to yourself <laughs> like it, you know there's other parts <laughs> where so, a- Andy McDowell she plays a undercover nun so, so wait, let's, wait let's a minute just, let's no wait, wait, wait a minute wait a minute and at one point she finishes talking to Hudson Hawk and turns to a crucifix <laughs> and starts talking to it and then it lights up and talks back to her what the fuck is this movie? So, the the, <laughs> uh, the plot of this movie is that Leonardo da Vinci built the Philosopher's Stone, basically. Yes, yes, of course. As that you do. gets broken apart. They end up being... Do they steal it first, not knowing it? I can't remember. No, they're trying to recreate it. Like, they never... They, they know what they're trying yeah. to get, but they don't but, know how it works. And all the violence... Anytime someone gets killed, it's pretty bloody. <laughs> pretty much anytime someone actually dies in the movie, it's pretty bloody. The whole first... Uh, the first robbery is a, is a musical sing-along piece. Is that the original song? Um, it's, it's Frank Sinatra's. Oh, it's a Frank Sinatra. Yeah. It's been obviously long enough that I need to rewatch this movie. Yes, you do. Yeah. I'm actually buying it on Blu-ray right now for $6.23, um, bundled with Hollywood Homicide, which, no need to watch that one, but you get Hudson Hawk on Blu-ray. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But Hudson Hawk, oh, fantastic. It's, like, the fact that they're, and also, uh, it was Alan Cumming, one of Alan Cumming's earliest American pictures. Hmm. Like, was it critically panned? It was, right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It got, it got destroyed. So like, any any absurd, any movie that takes place in its own world that is not the real world, pre- but pretends it's the real world and has some sort of absurd quality You, ha- you to have it. at one point, Sandra Bernhardt is laying back on a conference table, listening to music, just singing, I got the power! And they're supposedly brother and sister, right? I but they're also so. lovers. Yes, because it's Richard Kelly. Because they're uh, yeah, hmm. yeah. And then you have um, you've got you've got that insane amount. Um, I'm trying to remember who his partner was, but at the end of it, like you've seen him go off a cliff in a limousine and it blow up, <laughs> and he's just like, they had a sprinkler system. Yeah, I bet that's how it happened. <laughs> Yeah, and then, we, you know, if you did this, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and, like, everybody, it's a happy ending. Everybody survives. And at the end, they're just like, yeah, I bet that's exactly what happened. Like, yeah. Now, supposedly, this movie was just a giant personal project for Bruce Willis. Yeah. And that's another reason why it's a vanity project. And right. So, and, for and, some and, people, they thought, 
after Die Hard, this was just a vanity project, when really it was like, it had already been written, right? I I have no idea about that. I honestly felt the same thing, because there's points where he is complete and full serious acting mode. Like, whenever he, after they've met the Mario Brothers, and there's a whole big joke set about how he doesn't know what Nintendo is because he's been in prison for so long. But then there's the Mario Brothers, which is also Frank Stallone. And then they make jokes about, you know, him not being as smart as his brother, which is obviously a dig at Sylvester. Or, you know, a dig at Frank about Sylvester. And, you know, there's just all this... The other thing about that is there is a through line through the entire fucking movie. Also, Danny Aiello's in this movie and brilliant the whole way through. Um, there's a through line through the entire fucking movie about him have, trying to have a cup or a, a cup of cappuccino. And every time something happens, it gets cut in half, it breaks, it David gets Caruso's shot. in it. Yeah, David wow. Caruso plays Kit Kat and he is the best part of it because he dresses up as everybody else doesn't speak a word and just has basically business cards that have whatever he wants to say at the time, which means he would have had to pre-print them for that specific scenario. My favorite is a point where he is dressed exactly like Bruce Willis and is standing behind him and is doing the exact same motions as he is doing. And then Bruce Willis just comes back and just clocks him in the face and looks back at him. And David Caruso just kind of looks at him and, nods and shrugs his shoulders like yeah I deserve that like it, yeah. it's it's fucking magical how good this is but it is also everything that was wrong with the 90s distilled into a movie that came out super you know super early 91s. in the 90s. I didn't know Richard Grant was in it either because yeah. I like, that's who I I like with Nell and I yeah that's who I was thinking of I said Richard Kelly that's the guy who did Richard Donnie Darko Grant. yeah, yeah so cause Richard Grant with Nell and I go watch that well uh, so what is your number two Skylar <laughs> um, we'll never be done talking about Hudson Hawk exactly my uh, <laughs> my number two is um, is uh, Braid Lunner I mean Braid I mean Blade Runner yeah. Oh, Blade Runner. <laughs> I said Braid Runner. Okay. Blade, so pretty. Braid Runner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Japan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I heard it kind of flopped at the box office. Uh, yeah. And this was a movie I didn't get into until um, God. It, whenever they released the final super deluxe cut that came out like three or four years ago yeah i just said okay i'm just gonna go buy it and watch it because i hear so much about it my mom loves the movie cult film you know and i loved it and the very first version i've seen of the movie was this final cut so i've never seen the theatrical i never watched the director's cut after that and whatever else they made probably before that so the very first version I've ever seen is this... The very first and only version you've seen. Is the final cut. That's kind of like when the very first time I ever watched Donnie Darko was the director's cut, which I actually uh, prefer the opening on the director's cut compared to the original because I really like the NXS song and how it kind of matches with everything, which is what he originally planned. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, Blade Runner is... I can't talk too much about it because everyone else has... It's just flipping amazing to watch. It, and, you know, by today's standards, it's not a high-budget film, but back then, I guess it was, you know. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, but yeah. just the sets, 
blow my mind. Well, and the imagery of this Asian um, slash, like Asia and America have united in this strange way uh, because of commerce. And, and it's raining all the time. And everyone, that deluxe DVD set with that final cut, they're all talking about, man, we sprayed a lot of water on that lot when we made that movie. And I'm like, man, that... The water just makes it feel cold and grimy, and I can feel that futuristic. Fu- I can feel that future, right there. Because well, that was, yeah, well for, <laughs> for me, that was one of those. And the matte paintings are really ama- oh, yeah. amazing in it. And, well, and when you find out the details mm-hmm. of like how they created some of the special <clears throat> effects, yeah. like Adam Savage talked about that on the Tessa podcast, and I did some more research and. Some of the techniques they that the guy who did the slit scan stuff for 2001 were used again to make some of the crazy overlays. Yeah, you know, because I mean, you have to reshoot over the same footage over and over. You're creating plate after plate after plate to get to where you have like eight layers of footage to get this one shot. I like. You know, Ever Jane's almost has that street speak that's a combination of like all languages. And uh, I think they subtitled it maybe in some of the older versions of it. But in this one, he's just talking, and Harrison Ford is like, What? They don't. I I thought they did. I was trying to remember that. Here's how the different versions play out. Voiceover, Um, happy ending. I just know about the narration in the first original. Well, okay, so basically. That was the studio's decision. It was definitely. And they made Harrison Ford, and you can tell he does not want to do it. But it actually is interesting going back after you've watched the final cut. Go back and listen to it because it fills in so many details. But do you want all that? Ex- it's that- it's interesting to at least watch it for that. Okay. Um, because it like whenever he does, whenever he's sitting there and you have Edward James Olmos talking to him, he's just like, "Oh yeah, of course I understood him. I just wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of it." Yeah. You know, it's 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 noir ish sort of yeah. thing. Um, once <coughs> one thing. To speak on, it wasn't a super bomb. It almost made its money back. It was it, the budget was an estimated twenty eight million. It made twenty seven million. But then it almost, at the same time, ru- almost ruined Ridley Scott's career. It did. So, so. <laughs> okay. So what they did was the first one had voiceover with Harrison Ford narrating over the entire thing. It happy also ending. has a had a happy ending, which funnily and enough, funnily enough, was <laughs> what they stole or for Brazil. To give it its happy ending, oh, yeah, they yeah. stood footage from from Blade Runner. Well, when you were talking about Tron Legacy, I was thinking of Blade Runner too, because yeah. of the whole Tron ending thing, right? Know, but, so, but. Um, the so the second version, the director's cut, what they literally did was they took away the voiceover, and that's it. Well, in the and they added added the in, happy ending, well, they, they put and, in, they, and they gave the original bleak ending, and they also they put in they more of the unicorn, one, right? They they added in a few. Short things that add to the fact and, that he's a replicant. That he could be a replicant. Yeah, they, like, it's stuff like him looking up and his eyes shining like all the replicants do. Stuff like that. Which involves the unicorn, which was taken from legend. Um, the thing is, though, they did not trim the sh- scenes. So They cut out some of the sex scene, too, though. I thought, too. I mean, well... Well, that's almost completely gone in the final cut. Well, the thing is, what the thing is, is that in you've seen only the final cut. After whenever I think it's right before he gets food, he's sitting on a ledge and he opens up a newspaper and looks up and you see the blimp. Mm -hmm. In the original, or in the original, there was voiceover over that. So he opens up the newspaper, looks up for like five seconds, and then it shows you the blimp. 
In the director's cut, which is better because it doesn't have the voiceover, he still looks up for five seconds. Because it's, they just took out, you know, with the other small changes to get the ending to fit what they originally wanted to do, they just took out the voiceover and didn't trim any of the scenes to fit. So it's overly long and doesn't... I don't know. A lot of the scenes in the director's cut, because they don't trim them, because they don't try and make the movie shorter, they don't do... Because Ridley Scott has become someone who is very much about correct pacing. His movies, even though I don't really like Prometheus, the reason why a lot of the stuff was cut out was for him was a pacing thing. Do you, do you know the apocryphal story of why he's gotten this way? I don't know. That. Is If I remember right, it was watching Blade Runner, and there were two people stoned in front of him in the seats, and they were <laughs> complaining that the movie was running too long. Like, the scenes were way too long. So you mean, for me, like, the director's cut, because uh, the very first version I saw, the very first version, was the TV edited version of the first version. Oh, yeah, oh, that's, okay. no, that's a whole other version yeah, of it, too. Yeah, that's a whole... There, there, there's also like, a all, because all the, print version Yeah, because well. all the dialogue scenes, mm. but they did add back one scene that's in the final cut, but that's not in the director's cut, I think. Okay. There's, some, there's something weird, and they have to like cut around all the, the violence and stuff. And You said work print? There's also a work print I, version. I would love to find... Two Holy Grail work prints, one for Apocalypse and now and the other one for the Thin Red Line. Just saying. The Thin Red Line apparently is like seven hours long. So I do have with the, Mickey Rourke in it. I do have the Blade Runner Ultimate set that has the unicorn, has a spinner, has even a film <laughs> cell, I believe. And then it has all f- it has five versions of it. It has the work print, it has the film. I would love to see the work print. It has the I director's can. cut. I haven't watched the work print one. I have actually a fan edit that combines all five print, all five of them into one. Jesus. Does the work print have like really crappy like B-roll in it, it or anything? But it also probably has a lot of subplots and stuff they just cut out of the movie. Yeah, I, I, it's a Blu-ray version of it. And then I have the final cut. Like, as I said, there's five different versions of it. I like there. those fan edits where they just put it all in. There's someone did that for the original Dawn of the Dead and put it on YouTube. It's called the Extended Mall Hours version. <laughs> so it's got like the American, the European, and the Japanese cuts all put together. And that movie can run like three hours long. Yeah, and it's a good. Well, movie. the documentary for Blade Runner where they go in and talk about it's how awesome they documentary. The it, it's longer than the movie. It's like three and a half yeah. hours long because they go into <laughs> every detail about it. So apparently, there's a single sin effects issue that was made in the 80s about how they did all the effects to Blade Runner. Okay. It's, it's like 120, you know, because all those issues are like 120 it, it, pages. The movie, you can get so lost in it and you're just fascinated with it. And every time I, I, I had Christy, my wife, watch it and, and she liked it. She did. Um, and I, I, still, I still have to make it. it it's a, I, I, she said, yeah, I like that. Um, but me, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a film fan and, I, I really do appreciate it, and I became, and I, I fell in love with it the first time I watched it, and I'm like, okay, I get what everyone else is saying. See, the, the, and it's not word of mouth, really, that convinced me to, to like it that much. I, I just honestly really liked it as soon as I watched it. I was like, man, I see so many other movies from this one movie. Well, and what's so scary is uh, <clears throat> if you read Neuromancer, William Gibson said that he went to the movie theater to watch Blade Runner because he was like, hey, sci-fi movie. He had to walk out because everything he was seeing on screen was the world that was in his head. This book, what's funny is 
Blade Runner has an absolute. The world of Blade Runner has almost nothing to do with why. Why do Android or how, do the androids dream, dream of, of electric, electric sheep? sheep? It has almost nothing to do with that world. It is an updated world, and the thing is, is apparently both uh, the crew <laughs> or Ridley Scott and the screenwriters were on the same wave that that William Gibson was on. And when Neuromancer, like he was really worried that people were going to compare Neuromancer to Blade Runner. But what's funny about Neuromancer is so much of Neuromancer is the fucking Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> what are all those rumors off subject? The people who are wanting to make Neuromancer into a movie. There's a lot it's, of talk. Every two years, it yeah. seems like they're going to make Neuromancer. No, they're not. They're never going to make it. And you know, because I think you want to know uh, why? Because everyone's going to go, this rips off the Matrix. No. This this book came first. I think about all the anime too from the eighties. My favorite time period of anime. And Ghost in the Shell is Ghost in the Shell, Bubblegum Crisis, all those old things See, I still like have that. Trouble connecting Dom- Dominion Ghost Tank the- Police. All yeah, those. I have trouble connecting Ghost in the Shell to the Matrix. I know. I I, I know logically. Well, but look at the okay. The biggest thing from Ghost in the Shell that is borrowed from the Matrix is shot style. You mean? Length of well, shot. Yeah, I'm following the, what he the, means. The lengths of the edits. Well, it's not borrowed from... Maybe it's it informs. Inf- yeah, yeah okay, the Matrix okay, yeah. borrowed from Ghost of Shell yeah. was the slow motion, <clears throat> the way they use slow motion, not like the exact slow motion, the way they use slow motion, the timing of the shots, the breaks in the action, the, the acrobats. Yeah. I like... The, the fact that people are jumping out of windows and you get these perspective shots and stuff... Like, all of that, like, now, all the existential, deep, philosophical concepts of the last third act, of the third act of Ghost in the Shell, that made me not like it when I was a teenager, <laughs> but make me like it as an adult, uh, are, are missing from a lot of the Matrix. But, right. like, the influence, especially of the way Trinity, Trinity specifically moves in that weird. first Matrix movie, is very much, uh, I can't remember her name. What is the lead character? Of oh, oh, um, Shell? um, I know it starts with an M. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, did you see the anime first, or did you read the manga first? I watched the anime first. I, I got I picked up the manga, Masamune Shiro. That guy needs to make better manga. All he does now is kind of like he's probably just riding it. No, he does like Matoko. He does really terrible hentai kind of stuff, even though his art style is really amazing looking. But some, some people anyway. just fall into their perversions, man. That's that's what happens. He might be making good people. money off that because of how popular all that stuff is well, right but, now. But it might not even be popularity. It might just be his own. That's just what he has fallen into. Well, so Nathan, what yeah, is your number Blade two? Blade Runner is my number two. What's yours, Nathan? So my number two is also a science fiction film from the eighties. This is uh, I have yet to watch the documentary that talks about the other movie, but what we are going to talk about is David Lynch's Doom. This is one of those guilty, guilty, so, guilty, 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 guilty so pleasures. So my number one is David Lynch's Doom. Oh. You scooping motherfucker. No, I'm not scooping. <laughs> I, I I made my list several hours ago. You when son I of a bitch. It. So, uh, Justin, would you like to start about it since it was your number one? You guys are going to have to do this without me because um, Dune, I've only watched it like one time when I was a little kid. I can't remember 
anything. I have no connection to See, it. Where's your bathroom, by the way? It is right behind you. Okay. Skyler will be right back. <laughs> but keep talking, Goodbye, please. Skyler. I miss you already. He'll be, he'll be back. Yeah, he will. So, Justin, what did you feel about David Lynch's Dune? See, honestly, my thing about Dune is I just like how how fucked the vision is. Oh, fucking brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the, the, the quantum fish that shows up at the very beginning in the giant tank. Like, Oh, no, no. He's a worm. Well, yeah. I'm, you know, you yeah. find that out through the course of the movie. Right. But he's a human, or he's an alien species that has so inundated themselves with the spice that now they are becoming he's, worms. Yeah, he's converted you know? over. Which is what happens in God Emperor. Yeah. Um, which at that point had already been written. Right. You know, we they were already the chapter house, which is the last but, but of the with, original. But with just the giant tank that they bring him in, in <sighs> and then him... Them, them being the voice for it. Yeah. And how everything's just crossing over itself. I honestly don't know which version of the Dune movie I like the most because I have watched the extended cut. I've watched the director's cut. I've watched the normal version. There, there isn't a director's cut. Okay. David Lynch never did a director's cut. Okay, so not the director's cut. There's three so, different versions if yeah, I remember the, right. There's one. There's one. Don't ever watch it because I bought the... I bought videotapes because it said it was the three-hour cut. What it was, was they took fucking storyboards and production stills. Okay, I have not seen that one. Oh my the, god, it's the worst. The one I, the one I've seen is the extended cut. Makes you want to punch the screen. Where the extended cut goes a lot more into like, okay, this is what House Atreides is. And brings up stuff like that and okay, go more I, into I, the thought I, I saw that someone had posted it online to watch and I just haven't watched it. Yet. Yeah, and I like that one. I also like the normal one. I like all the thought processes that are going on between everybody. But I just like how complex it is and how much it, it's it, very similar to Blade Runner for me where they steep your steep you in the world and you've got to figure everything out yeah they don't they don't spare you any of the details right like it's all there it's all in your face yeah from like moment one um my dad is the hugest Dune fan you will ever find he has, kind of surprising. He has read, Same with my father. Huge Dune fan. Yeah, he has read every single book. He continues to read the books that are still coming out oh, now. Oh, that his, the, yeah. his son keeps publishing. Right. And it's just one of those where you're going, you know, he's given me the books to read, and I, I still actually have not got to finish the first Dune. I can't remember what my point face, I got to. My face? You know how... Yeah, you, it just fell. You, my face is not just falling, but almost like, what? Yeah. Are you fucking shitting me? I am not. Okay, I was... I think I was eight years old. <laughs> I had watched Dune for the first time with my dad. Right. Because we rented it from the video store. And I like I read that whole fucking book. Like, I, I, I think re- I got... As a kid. This was like a three. I think this is... A, yeah, this, I think I got to the point. It was... I was trying to read it with Katie. So we, what we used to do is read books to each other at night. We'd find a book and... Going to bed, we would read the book, you know, read 20, 40 pages, whatever. My thing was, is I like to do voices, so I, I went full in, and she would just read them. Not flat, because she had some dramatic yeah. flair to it, but still wasn't as much energy as I was putting in, and she kind of fell off from it, so I never picked, I didn't pick it up at that point. But I think we were in the sandstorm after everybody, after the, you know, everybody got killed, 
sort of thing. I think he was still with his mom. So you're right after the betrayal. Yeah. So. But you haven't I even gotten to the good shit. Man. Yeah, and that's the problem. Um, you don't even find, you don't even know why Stilgar is an important character yet. I. You don't even know. You don't even know why the siege matters, man. Okay. <laughs> See, you're 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 talking, and this was my number one. So what the fuck? So you know, like, why, why did this you move mo- up? Like this movie. Like I've I've read Dune twice all the way through, and like I remember it's one of those books that I don't know why. I remember fucking huge amounts of detail. See, if we, see next next huge topic should be, hey, details. favorite books converted into movies, and we can talk about, I'll talk about it, you'll talk about Dune, we'll be yeah. good to go. I thought you already did that, though. I, we, we did favorite we adaptations, did adaptations oh, 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 but oh, oh, we didn't oh, oh. do specifically only books. <laughs> oh. but, uh, but Dune's one of those things that, the fact that there was so much production pre-David Lynch's involvement, with the Dino De Laurentiis company, with Yoder, or actually, I mean, not even Dino De Laurentiis, with Yodorowsky and what he did. What he tried it, to do, which then got converted over to Alien. Well, which then got converted over into like four Everything. or five other fucking films. Yeah. And, and even his own stuff that he, like Meta Barons and, you know, so many other stories that have become influences on things like The Fifth Element and stuff like that. But the thing is, is the vision of... Every there is a vision to everything in right. Everything. The way the worms look, the way the still suits look, the way the fucking Harkonnens look, the everything has a vision. Even if it's not correct to the book, it doesn't matter because it has a vision. This is the, this is for the longest time until I finally saw Blue Velvet. This is the only thing I liked from David Lynch. Well, yeah. Well, the only thing I liked from David Lynch. You still haven't watched Wild at Heart, which you need to do. I know, I know. I'll just bring over my tape. We'll watch. We'll watch. Elephant. I do have my VCR. Well, I'll watch. We'll watch Elephant Man. We'll have wa- you seen I Eraserhead? I can't remember if you. Said I've this started on. to watch Eraserhead. I've started ha- to watch Elephant Man. I have the Man. Criterion Collection DVD of Eraserhead. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I might have to kill myself after a David Lynch day. Just letting you guys no, know. No, I'm just saying, Elephant <laughs> Elephant Man. He didn't write it. It was a Mel Brooks production. He brought him in to adapt. I I think I watched the first hour. John, of that. It's John Hurt. Right. Playing uh, uh, John Merrick, uh, so I mean it's a it's a great classic great kind movie. of. Yeah. It's almost kind of a British film. More yeah, than yeah. It is. As I, I think I've seen you the know, first hour of uh, it. So. Anthony Hopkins is in it. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic film. They just started production too on the new. Uh, Elephant Man. No, the the new um, Twin Twin Peaks. Yeah, the new Twin Peaks. Yeah, they just but. But we'll watch Wild the Heart because you need to see it just for Nick's Nick Cage's perform Nick Cage and Willem Dafoe's performances. Just for those two things, just to see those two things. Not even the incredible storytelling and amazing combinations of things, you know, whatever. Uh, but but Dune is my number two. So uh, and we've covered your number one, Justin. Yeah. So yeah, Skyler, what is your number one? Oh, you're not going to switch from? Justin to another? No, no. Uh, we we. We oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I guess my number one is an easy choice. I, I'm I'm going to say Shawshank Redemption, and I think it was a f- kind of a flop at the box office, but it cer- certainly has turned a profit when it became. I what, think it was VHS. one of those movies that rentals saved it, and that's and that, how and that's ninety percent of movies now. And that's how the first time I saw it was a rental. Um, and this is before TNT started playing it all the time. I think it's TNT that plays it, but uh, my dad rented it, 
and I don't know what made him want to rent it. We used to, <laughs> my dad, we ended up having two VCRs uh, growing up, and my dad would rent a movie, and we would illegally record the movie onto a blank tape. And uh, that's how we had Cliffhanger on tape. <laughs> uh, Shawshank Redemption, I, I love that movie. Um, I don't know, Justin, can you add to that? <laughs> um, it actually kind of looks like Shawshank Redemption ended up making its money back, but that's also, looking at the totals there, as weird as it is, it came out in 1994. Its budget was an estimated $25 million, And as of August... 2012 it has made 28 million dollars so it probably was a flop at the time you know it just recently got re-released in theaters for just kind of like a day or two kind of right. thing and so, yeah. i wanted to go see that just man that movie is just uh it's just an it's like an amazing story it's one of those kind of character dramas like a person on a journey uh, like a quest almost like uh you know, my mom, she told me that it was based off a short story from Stephen King book, which I had no idea. And she's like, yeah, this the book's called Different Seasons, you know. And I actually found a paperback of that in an old uh, bookstore that's actually nearby here on May. I think it's called Aladdin Books. I don't know. But uh, it's over here off the of 50th. <laughs> uh, Shawshank Redemption, that's, that's my number one. Um, I mean, I, I like it. It's been so long since I've seen it. I had cable for about a week. And it was on one of, the, <laughs> one of the channels. It's always on. I came in right about the Rita Hayworth poster with the, you know, cow or horse, whatever yeah. thing, and then breaking it up and going, oh, okay. And I was like, okay, I need to rewatch it. Just haven't had a chance to. So it's one of those movies where Andy Dufresne was my friend. There's a lot of movies where you can just like, oh, oh, it's that movie. Yeah, I can just sit here and watch it and take take time out to watch it because it's such a good movie and you know i'm never bored with it uh you know a recent movie i can just plop down and watch would be like guardians of the galaxy just something i can just throw on and watch any old time i used to do that with the original star wars trilogy all the time can't do that anymore and that's sad i was the other night telling my wife i really want to watch like Star Wars right now, but I can't. <laughs> See, my, my I'm dying is, inside without my original Star Wars. I, I've tried picking up that with the kids, trying to find movies. So I just end up having a bunch of the Pixar movies or Guardians of the Galaxy or something like that. That it's like, okay, this is just an adult enough that I can remain interested in it. Yeah. And watch it with them and actively enjoy it with. But, you know. There's definitely some of that stuff that's just like, okay, I'm just going to completely check out while you're watching Miles from Tomorrowland or Paw Patrol. So this is just a question. So does anybody else feel like I do that Guardians is kind of the best Marvel film? I don't know. I I just, after rewatch, like I didn't rewatch it that entire, for almost an entire year. So, I like it more than. And I've rewatched Avengers, and I watch Avengers too, yeah. and I've seen. I, I I think I'd even rewatched Winter Soldier, and 
see. I, and I've re- rewatched Thor, and I've re. And I, I've I've rewatched all of them except even Incredible Hulk. The only ones I didn't get to was Thor two. I think that was the only one I haven't gone back and rewatched recently. And Iron Man three. There's parts of it that I like. See, I I think I I can't really think in that unfortunately because I'm aware of the phases. I think for me, phase one, it's Captain America. Now is my favorite of those. Uh, that's that's still the. I would say that 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 one is definitely. It, it, like I feel like it's it's held up more. At the time, I kind of was like, eh, this you know, it's, it's. I feel like Thor is held up more if you rewatch it now. My the original with, Thor. Yeah, the my, first. My Thor. problem with the original Thor is that they. It was the first one. It, it felt to me like an early two thousands superhero movie. I, I don't specifically for the comedic way they portray whenever they're walking down. Oh, there's Xena, Jackie Chan, and uh, Errol Flynn or whatever they do there. And then, oh, we found you! Like that specific scene was just felt like that was uh, Kenneth Branagh going. We all know this stuff is stupid. I think no, Guardians actually, I, I feel I feel like that's the only that he treated the material pretty seriously the whole time. I think. I think I can actually agree with you. I was just running it all through my head. Guardians is actually might be the best one. Uh, and I'm thinking of that because of how so much it reminds me of stuff like Star Wars and Fifth Element and Indiana Jones. Those but kind of having to look like, like those movies. Yeah. And, and you know, Ant-Man kind of made me feel that way too a little bit because of, you know, I, I don't even feel like there's a lot of drama in Ant-Man even though there is, but... But the whole part where Andy Dufresne, you know, shrinks down in Ant-Man and Morgan Freeman's there to bail him out out of the Shawshank (laughs) Redemption (laughs) place. Blow blow him back up. Yeah. So Shawshank was my number one. So, yeah. (laughs) So. uh, (laughs) Good good attempt at a segue. So since uh, Hank Pym has uh, has re- he is our desire. We had a good segue, and you just trampled all over it. No, I, 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 I <laughs> you, just you laughed too hard. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't try to resegue. So this, uh, so Justin, uh, are you gonna announce if this is my number one or not? Hey Nathan, what's your number one? Thanks. Uh, so my number one <laughs> is <laughs> this John McTiernan movie that stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's called Last Action Hero. Oh. Greatest fucking box office bomb of all fucking time. Why did I pick Shawshank as my number one? Because Last Action Hero is on my um, alternate list. I just love Charles Dance in that. I fucking love that movie. It, it, I remember oh, renting it the first time. I oh, I just I saw it in theaters one. with my dad at the I, dollar yeah. movie. It was great. And it's one of those movies. It has it holds up. Like it's so I, bad. Okay, it's so bad. This, it holds up. This is. The, I think this is actually the same problem with Hudson Hawk, is that it is self-aware enough. Yeah. That now, it, it holds. It, it totally works. It plays. You know. It does. Like the whole thing. Like it, it's that. It's that whole like geek cred sort of thing that is happening now. That having a movie that self-aware would totally play. And that now. meta. Yeah, like, that, that that whole meta commentary on everything <laughs> like, that's going on, like they, it's a five 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 number. 
Of course, that's why we have different area the codes. codes. <laughs> you know, like just all that. That's why stuff. we have area code. And he walks in, and Sylvester Stallone is playing the Terminator, and yeah. you know <laughs> stuff like that. Like the fact that there was, and and the fact that it's the fourth movie in this franchise is the one that he's watching. <laughs> it's such a. It would play. It would play now because we're in sequel, remake, reboot mania. You know, where when I was thinking of Last Action Hero on this list, because I was like, oh yeah, that was a flop. I was like trying to think of all the movies that Arnold did around that time that he was that were kind of supposed to be funny, like Kindergarten Cop or whatever. And, and I that was, was like, super successful. And this super one, successful. in this one, I was like, Arnold is a terrific comedy actor right now because he's. <laughs> Playing it straight, but it's not because he's a fictional character and his. Yeah. And I was trying to wrap my hand around it. Like, what was the name of that animated cartoon cat? In oh it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He's I've... like that. But, but <laughs> like a cat that cusses at him and, or something. And that's another movie. So so. Oh man. <clears throat> for those of you. I, I have kind of become obsessed with the work of Tom Noonan okay. in yeah. uh, Hollywood. He's, he is one of those... He's in every fucking movie, it I seems mean, he like. he is the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, he's one of those people who, like, you don't realize it's him for most... He's such... One, he's such a chameleon. And two, he's... He goes back and forth between being in heavy makeup or having his hair long... Even though he's balding, and which is him, you in, know, uh, last action. It was just him in last action. It's him in RoboCop Two. It's yeah, you know. But then he'll have short hair, and he's in a wheelchair in Heat, and then he's, <laughs> uh, and then he's in Synecdoche, uh, New York, with short hair and glasses and a trench coat, and you know, there's there's all these roles that he's played. Apparently, he writes plays and has directed several movies that I've never seen. That that were kind of indie comedy or indie movies of the nineties, but like I didn't realize as a kid. Like I, for some reason, I always thought as a kid John Malkovich played that character for some reason. Uh, I don't know. I why. don't know, you know why. What, that, that's a good easy mistake. I'm thinking about that too because <laughs> he's like, kind of a chameleon too in a lot well, of ways. But, and it was kind of that. It was the time of the rise of John Malkovich at that time. So there's probably a movie that I watched that had John Malkovich, and for some reason I thought that was John Malkovich. Connor, <laughs> probably. Well, Connor. Connor's a little later. Yeah, uh, but but the fact that this movie, the fact this movie was ever made, it was a script that was super violent. It was it was even more meta. It was less funny though. Like the guys who originally wrote the script, like hate the movie because it's nothing like it went through rewrite after rewrite after rewrite. And then Shane Black was the last person to get a hold of it before it ended up on the screen. And while it was in production and stuff, that's why his name is even on on the script. Yeah, me and Dad saw it at, um, on the dollar movie that used to be on Shields in that shopping center over there by the highway. Um, oh, the real, one that got... The real one ghetto that, one. Well, but that one actually got uh, torn down a couple years ago. Yeah. It had the light, it had the tiles that lit up on the outside. Um, the other one, the yeah. Winchester, is still open. Yeah, it still runs movies. So we open. saw it there, and that's during the nineties period where we saw every action movie that came out. And I remember my dad actually liking it. I would think he hated it because my dad loved his action movies, and this movie we laughed and had a great time. And makes fun of all the cliches. Yeah, it's the first movie after. I think this is the first post Tarantino movie. 
Oh, it's, I, don't I think know. it's the first after Reservoir Dogs movie where a movie made fun of movie tropes hmm. in the movie that also had its own movie tropes, but it made fun of different movies' movie tropes. And <laughs> it's not like in a cynical way either, like yeah. how a movie would be these days. Yeah, like it's, it's not bitter. It, it was super earnest yeah. with everything he did, and that might be part of the problem with it. But yeah, but at the same time, the fact that they could move back and forth, and why is this lone kid in New York the only? The kid who this old man trusts and gives him the gives yeah. him the magic stuff and well, the, the fact that the the ticket is not the same because they had to remake the ticket multiple times in the production. <laughs> uh, so so different production prop companies made the ticket. So every time the ticket shows up, it's a completely different ticket. I hadn't ever noticed that. I didn't ever notice it. I read an article that was like, <laughs> what "Did you fuck? ever notice?" And and, uh, and like I, the last time I watched it, I was like, "Oh my god, it is a different ticket. It is a different ticket. It has different text and it looks has a different design everything." <laughs> but it's one of those movies that the fact that it comments both on Hollywood while taking place in Hollywood while also being indulgent to the movie theater culture at that point the fact that Ian McKellen plays death from the seventh seal the fact that he gets to walk through regular humanity oh oh, stuff. oh that part where he walks in the street yeah oh man that's not that part uh, like you can't do that here this is the real world <laughs> what so uh but that's my number one good number one so do we have any user submissions uh, I do believe we do if I can open my phone quick enough to uh, actually, actually get these things looked up. Okay, so you, first user submission is a uh, contrib- occasion, occasional to regular contributor, William Olin Cox. Uh, for him, uh, there's not in any order, so we're going to go with number three, Fantastic Four 2015. Which I really liked. Which uh, the other Fantastic Four was also a box office bomb, by the way. Uh, John Carter of Mars. And Lone Ranger. Bombs everywhere. I don't think that'll be the last time we see John Carter. He says, they aren't my favorite, but these come to mind first. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we have Collier Deaton. Collier? Is it Coll- Collier? Collier. Okay, I will try to... So we have four on this one. So I will call the first one the runner-up and the rest of them three, two, and one. Uh, we have Evan Almighty as the runner-up. We have Red Planet, the John Carpenter Red or no? I don't even know if it was John Carpenter. Uh, no, 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 no. Was Red Planet? Are they're talking about the animated Red Planet? No, I don't believe so. I think they're talking about the one with Val Kilmer. Oh, and the Killer I, Robot. God, thing. I forgot Curry that. Ann Moss. I yeah. forgot that fucking movie. I, lo- I really. I, it was the same time as Mission to Mars, and yeah, I think it was, it was. the superior one. Uh, it was uh, done by Anth- Anthony Hoffman. Anthony Hoffman. Uh, Treasure Planet. I also uh, underrated Disney movie. I, I and, absolutely love that one. And Hugo by Martin Scorsese. That's the movie I need to see. I've never seen Hugo. I've seen half of it, like a bunch of times, but I've never like it's always like on. It's always one of those things that like you, if if you're somewhere, it, it for some reason for the last couple of years it's just on. Like it's just on HBO. It's on. I think it might be on channel. Netflix too. Maybe. Yeah, I think it is. I think it was on Netflix for a while. So. V. A. Hardy. V. A. Yes. That's it. Right. Uh, there. So there's four again. Uh, I will pretend like the one at the bottom is number four. So our runner-up is Journey to the Center of Center of the Earth with Brendan Fraser. 
was ready Ooh. to walk out 30 minutes in. Yeah, I never saw that one. Uh, number three is Battlefield Earth. Yeah. Talk about Razzie Awards. Uh, one of the best movies ever. Yeah. Two is The Last Airbender by M. Night Shyamalan. That was a flop? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I thought... Oh, no. That, so people heard, saw the reviews that movie, before that, Yeah, that was actually the first one of the first movies to suffer from Twitter. Oh, okay. Like, like Friday night, a bunch of people went and saw it. Nobody went to saw it on Saturday. Oh, okay. Like it was one of those. Like, and then um, number one is well, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Crystal Skull. That was a flop too. That might just be a turkey. Yeah, I'm not sure that's about a that. turkey. Oh, um, it made money. Just, but just not to let you know, money. the last Airbender budget was 150 million. Um, its opening weekend was 51. And the gross, by the time it left theaters, was 131. So not too terribly bad. But, but for a movie that even an opening 50 is still pretty good. Yeah. Even now. But it had that sharp drop right but it, after like, that. It, it's like it did a fucking and what Fifty Shades of Grey did. Like opening weekend was huge. Every other it it was it half. It went to half the next week. Half of that the next week. Half of that, like it just dropped, yeah, completely. Now I will have like, to say, Indiana Jones was a turkey because its budget was 185 million, and it made its money back. It made 317 yeah. million, so it so. almost doubled its money. So it, so it probably made its advertising budget back. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but um, so and then the last one is Adrian Mesmer, if I can hold the phone close enough. Uh, so. Numbers one, two, and three are the Star Wars prequels, which were turkeys, not yeah, box not bombs. office bombs. <laughs> and then The Haunting? Yeah, yeah. That's the one with uh, Liam Neeson and... Oh, I didn't see it. The Haunting of Hill House? Yeah. It, I mean, it's just... It, the, or that just version, The Haunting? That one was just called The Haunting. It had um, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, okay. Um, what's his fucking face? The um, I'm pulling it up right now. I'm trying to remember what his name is. He's one of the two brothers, the blonde one he was in, Wedding Crashers. Owen Wilson? No, that... Owen and Luke Wilson? Luke. Okay. So Luke was in there. He lost his head um, to a chimney um, thing. That one, I've never, I had never seen the original one at the time. Yeah, it was Owen Wilson, Lily Taylor, uh, Bruce Dern was in it. I mean, it had a good cast. It had some interesting stuff there, but then it just completely took... A detour to the left, as opposed to doing anything interesting with it. The one thing that I remember from that movie that stands out is whenever that, um, it, it was actually kind of cool, whenever they're walking through that garden and that uh, statue's hand like moves over and grabs whoever and tries to drown him in that. I think they try to do that. I just remember that from the trailers, and I thought that part was cool. And yeah, it I looks, just never saw it. That's all it I remember. Like the Haunting was another one of those that ended up being a turkey more than a... I mean, it made back its. The budget was eighty million. It hit ninety, about ninety-one million. So it didn't make its advertising budget back. Yeah, essentially. Essentially a flop in Hollywood. Uh, So Justin, because you have the topic for next week. Well, I actually have some runners up. No, no, because you have the topic for Ah. next week. What are your runners up? Okay, well, my runners up. One would obviously, obviously, be Treasure Planet. Mm. Um, Went on a huge. Bend, bend of watching that multiple times. I've, I've never seen it for a uh, It's It does a really good job with adapting it. 
on there. I was um, getting that confused with that one of the last Don Bluth animated films he did that was kind of a space one that had Titan 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 I was almost I was thinking of that movie and Treasure Planet at the same time. But the anyway. other one would be uh well, I've got two more. One is Kroll. Never seen it. Oh, how have you not seen Kroll? That's where people get the whole glaive thing screwed up on there. That's another one that has Liam Neeson in it for some reason. <laughs> but it, it was... That's w- Kevin Sorbo, right? Uh, no, 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 it's not. I, I don't have anything to follow that up or, with. Or, or was that the the remake that they made? I don't Kevin know if Sorbo? they ever made it. I'm not sure about that I one. feel like they made a Kroll remake that was Kevin uh, Sorbo. Kroll was directed by Peter Yates. Uh, it stars Ken Marshall and Lisette Anthony. Okay, I'll but, look up the Kevin Sorbo thing while you're... Yeah, it, it's like very high fantasy. The IMDb synopsis is, A prince and a fellowship of companions set out to rescue his bride from a fortress of alien invaders who have arrived on their home planet. And it, Arrived. They've got Cyclops. It has a glaive that is a really cool weapon, but it's not a freaking glaive. Um, no, Call the Conqueror. Oh, that's what, what you're thinking, thinking of. Okay. So, so Kroll, um, one of my favorite uh, moments of that, excuse me, one of my favorite moments of that is um, the, you know, um, the mentor of the hero's journey shows up and there is a giant spider that... Um, I believe used to be his lover or something like that. <laughs> Giant queen spider. <laughs> yeah, sort of thing. Wow. And what they have is a hourglass that if the sand runs out, or as long as the sand is going down, um, she can't move. And so there's this whole thing of them walking across the, or him walking across the spider web trying to get to there and get some object you know, while this is going on and then having the spider coming after them. You know, animatronic, very... Kind of weird middle budgets, very dark, like quicksand, and uh, um, one of the villains taking the place of the men- of the mentor at one point, and having the huge black eyes and long nails to kill people with. Like it's a, as I said, very high fantasy kind of middle ground almost, area, almost overly cliched. Can be, yeah, yeah. but it, but it does the weird stuff with like the alien fortress and all this stuff, so. It was genre bending. It's one of those movies that's just evaded my perception, my ability, my time of watching it. I think. Okay, so, Skylar, do you have any follow-ups? Um, yeah, um, Princess Bride. I think that was a kind of a flop. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, the Thirteenth Warrior. Oh, I, which is one of my runners-up. I really enjoyed that and i don't know why that movie always comes to my mind sometimes um i like the idea of this guy joining this band of i guess vikings yeah and he kind of he picks up their language he's really intelligent which that's, is awesome that that's my favorite moment of that that just, part stands out he, to me so much yeah him just sitting back and listening to them and then somehow it sud- becomes suddenly it becomes you know as for us as the viewer, it comes English to him. Mm-hmm. And after a certain amount of time, he finally just speaks their language. They're like, oh, hey, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Let's talk. And then I liked how he gets to use his huge uh, sword at the end. He gets to yeah, bust out does. his weapon and fight the whatever they were. 
I can't remember. I think I've seen it once, but that movie was cool. Me and my dad watched it. I liked it a lot. I, I really like that movie, especially because um, we had just finished Beowulf, and that was the movie we watched in the English class that I had. Wow. was 13th Warrior. Obviously with, you know, a few things censored because, you know, it's high school. Uh, but Wait, I got one more. Yeah. No, no, I was just talking about oh, oh. 13th Warrior. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but uh, that was one of those movies that... How dare you? That, uh, I, especially as a Michael Crichton, Eaters of the Dead uh, adaptation, especially Michael Crichton adaptations that failed. And he ended right? up directing it too, right? Because some people just quit. I heard Michael Crichton helped direct that. Probably, I mean... Or he just took it over. I mean, he might have helped. He might have been on set and helping with stuff, but yeah. But that's a, and also that was kind of the end of Antonio Banderas's initial run. John McTiernan success. and Michael Crichton. Yeah. So, you had another McTiernan bomb. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, lastly, um, Grindhouse. Uh, I think it kind of. I don't know if it was. It wasn't a turkey, but I don't. I don't think it made back everything that they put into it. I I, I saw the day it came out. I was in Santa Fe. We went to, as in college, me and a bunch of my friends all saw it, and that was back when it was a two run, two movie feature, with the Which I never uh, got to see it with like the that. trailers in between the Grindhouse trailers and Machete was the first trailer we saw, and then we saw, I think it was was a Death Proof was the first, the one with the zombies was the first one. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Terror, yeah. And that was my favorite, and I didn't like Tarantino's that much because, God, I, you know, I can take too much self-indulgence and stuff like that. It, it just... Th- those That whole thing <sighs> is self-indulgence, so... I did like... <laughs> I didn't like uh, the the car crash <laughs> in the first part, and, and then, you know, killing all those people in the car. Uh, and But Grindhouse was a cool movie you know it, it was different and honestly i wasn't aware of grindhouse cinema that much when i saw it so that that's a uh, one of my runners up those are it nathan so my runners up are in order of movies that are better than their box office flopness i'm gonna go with sphere Another Michael Crichton, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, oh yeah, Samuel Jackson was in that. Uh, uh, Sharon Stone. Oh, that was one, that was one of the last big Sharon Stone pictures too. Mm-hmm. Um, as an adaptation of the book, Middle of the Road. And I, I I thought it was pretty good. Just the ending of it, even in the book, is the worst thing ever. I didn't feel that way at like twelve years old when I read the book, but you know. But but you were twelve years old, so yeah. So I didn't you, know you, any better. You weren't an adult writing yeah. a fucking novel, yeah. going, "Hey, let's forget that 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 would explain everything. We yeah. just forgot." <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, then Popeye, the Robert Altman. Uh, I I love that thing more than anything else for the style. The stylistic things in that movie, they're Popeye. Everything in that movie is Popeye. 
everything from the old cheesy car- cartoons, the actual cartoon strip, all the stuff that's in there directly e- e- from Popeye. Yeah, even Robin Williams has the vocal ticks down. He's yeah. got all the stuff down. Your, the mumbles and the grumbles and the. Um, you know they're making an animated Popeye movie, apparently, which, which may or may not be good. CG looks. And you got Shelley Duvall as Olive Oil. Yeah, and she's got the. It's like she, she one looks of the, perfect for that. It's like one of the only other movies I can think of her in besides The Shining. <laughs> But uh, it was one of those, like, it failed. I know why it failed, because it tried to capture the comp. This is one of those times where capturing the spirit of the actual thing that people love failed it at the box office. This is the, Now, if they would have just made a line-drawing animation full-length movie... With Robin Williams voicing Popeye and with Shelley Duvall voicing Olive Oil, it probably would have been a box office hit. It probably would have made them a shit ton of fucking money. But because they built this entire city on Malta, (laughs) that you can still go and visit today, (laughs) because it's still there, they, it just, it bombed because it just wasn't, it didn't pay for what it spent. And then the last movie, in order of quality, is Man on the Moon. Hmm. Which, for Jim Carrey, was also another box office flop. But Uh, critically acclaimed. Critically acclaimed, but a huge box office flop. Like, it didn't even make half its budget back. But people don't care about him that much if they're that critically acclaimed like the flopping even the studios don't yeah. care you think Cause well no studios still care for the, oh. but the academy doesn't care yeah the academy has never given a shit about i mean like treasure planet tickets. i read when i was doing research that it was nominated for best animated film and it was a flop and yeah. spirited away smoked it that year so yeah but but uh it's one of those things where but man on the moon i love andy kaufman and everything I, I I can remember being at my grandmother's and there was a like I want to say hour-long TV special that came on randomly that was that totally covered just the Andy Kaufman wrestling women and Jerry Lawler that's all it was I've seen a documentary about that too it was only of. like an hour long it was made in obviously like 80 or 81. Um, it, and it treated the whole thing like it was deadpan. It was tr- totally treated like it was serious. There was nothing humorous about it, which, when you find everything out about Andy Kaufman, makes it t- two times funnier because you know the straighter he is, the more, the bigger a joke it is. Hmm. Right. You know? Well, I mean, the great tragedy of Andy Kaufman is that people were coming up to him whenever he was dying, going like, Man, I totally know what you're doing here, man. This is going to be killer, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> Which, at the same time, is his own fault. Yeah, yeah. Because the guy who reads Great Gatsby to crowds in entirety, yeah, while they wait for him to play guitar and do the character from Taxi, right? <laughs> when you're dying of cancer, people are going to think it's a put on. I mean, I, like, I, I literally had a friend whenever it was an online friend, 
and you know, I feel horrible about it now, but at one point, you know, he pretended he actually faked his own death for like a year and a half. Oh my god. Through online. And then afterwards came out as gay and I'm like, dude, I'm I'm not gonna believe anything you say. You faked your own death. Yeah. Like, well, why would I fake this? I don't know, but you faked your own death, so <laughs> You know, you're one of my best friends, but come on. You could be an alien for all I know. (laughs) And the fact that there are still people out there right now, there's a guy on Twitter who plays Tony Clifton at parties and stuff who has a Twitter page called, like, Real Tony Clifton, and it's all these kind of, like, meta jokes about Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton and all that stuff. And the fact that there's still somebody now just shows you like how deep, like Andy Kaufman has had a deeper resonance in some ways than most people give him credit for. Right. You know, like he's, especially in comedy, like he's he's a he's a revered figure, and the fact that Jim Carrey, at the height kind of of his fame, chose to play a hero of his and not the easiest thing to make twenty more million dollars. Right. Just kind of speak, and the REM soundtrack. It's a great, it's a great soundtrack. Uh, with with even though there's songs that are on earlier REM albums, you right. know, uh, but even Man on the Moon's not even an original well, song for that movie. Well, they took it from Document, which was like their super huge breakthrough album, yeah. breakout album. You know, well, I mean that, and that's you know, whatever. Whenever yeah. it comes to that, that's kind of like um, Elton John. Whenever um, Princess Die, yeah, you know, yeah, he you know, just took okay, it's gonna take Candle in the Wind and kind of tweak it a little bit there, yeah, you know? to make it. To make it about her, but that's but that's my that's my number one runner up. So you know, I can honestly say I just had a topic and then just completely forgot what it was. Good fucking job. So Justin <laughs> Justin, you have you have ten seconds. Okay. I've got it. 10, I found it. I found it. Nine. Okay. Eight. So fuck off. I've got it. <laughs> seven. So, um, what I'm gonna <clears throat> rather than kinda judge the full movies on their merits or whatever. What I want you guys to give me is your top three trailers that lied to you about the movie. Huh. So top three movies that... Misleading trailers. Misleading trailers. Misleading trailers. So is it necessarily movies we didn't like? No. Just... It's purely based off the trailer selling you something that didn't exist. So kind of like how we always talk about um, Paranormal Activity 3. Right. right. Okay, so we'll t- let's burn Paranormal Activity 3. Okay. The idea with Paranormal Activity 3, 3 is that it was the catfish guys, mm-hmm. which actually makes the trailer kind of genius. Yeah, yeah. But never mind that. Fuck those guys. Whenever <laughs> you, so the Paranormal Activity 3 trailer has stuff like, Oh, you know, who's your little friend? Oh, he's standing right next to you. And he picks up the cup of water and throws it on something, and it hits something, and the mother screams and picks up the daughter and runs out of the room. And then you have the the expert who comes in and goes, yeah, I really don't think you have anything to worry. And then his head is slammed into the table, and he's thrown backwards. Yeah. And then you watch the actual movie. None of that shit's in there. None of it's in there. She just has like, oh, who's your little friend? Oh, yeah, he's a... And then you sit there for like 30 seconds watching, and then it ends the scene. And you're like, what the, you know, and the guy is able to finish his complete sentence. And there's like 12 different key shots that are in the trailer that are not in the movie anywhere. And the movie is super boring and awful. 
good know, example. It, it is a great example. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, um, Skylar, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, Nathan, where can they find you on the interwebs? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is where they can find you on the internet? Instagram, eat dogs, lower Which is case. private, so. Yeah. So you have to be at it, so. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it doesn't really help. But, uh, yep. <laughs> so if you if you want us to get a message to Skylar, go to the Doobies Consumer Facebook page. Yeah, you can And do if that. it's in reference to something specific about Skylar, we will forward it to Skylar so that he can respond. What he said. So uh, me, who's Nathan, you can find me on Twitter at NateWad, and you can find me on Tumblr at NateWadNeutron. You can also find me on the Dubious Consumer Twitter handle and the dubious consumers facebook page so justin would you unleash the litany so that we can exit this version of the podcast so um you can right now i do have a book out it's called of gods and madness the faithful the faithful you can find that at bit.ly forward slash ogam tf um you can also find me at justindheard.com, justindheard.net, justinheard.com, at justindheard on Twitter, real justindheard on Facebook, justindheard author on Google+, justindheard on Pinterest, justindheard on Instagram, justindheard on Tumblr, amazon.com forward slash author forward slash justindheard. I'm also on Goodreads under <sighs> justindheard. Essentially, <laughs> if you search for justindheard, Funny thing is, is about the top 20 images are all mine on Google Images. It's pretty amazing. You're going to find me if you look for me. My email is also justin.d.herd at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course there was another one. But we just call you Justin Herd. Yeah, or we just call you Justin. Yeah. Or we just call you, yeah. hey, douchebag. You can douche also bag. email me at me at justindherd.net. You can also, you know, email uh, your submissions to the podcast at subs. Uh, at dubiousconsumers.net. Yeah. So, um, and then we have the Dubious Consumer Twitter page and Dubious Consumers Facebook page. Please um, like and rate us on iTunes. Please like and rate us, or actually subscribe, like us, rate us to everything. Uh, and Stitcher. And Stitcher iTunes, Stitcher, we're on both of the main podcast things, so you can find us if you would like to enjoy. Next will be our consuming episode, so thank you all, and come back. I should have heard of them from you. Don't you see, don't you see that the charade is over? And the clever cover story